fact, you've all got your oils. I want to just share with you that anointing is, is powerful because in itself it represents the Holy Spirit. It's got nothing else magic about it, but it's an it's a act that you do. So I want you to take the oil and put it on your forehead like that, wherever you've got the oil. Preferably your right hand because your right hand is your hand of blessing, as you know. Okay? And we're going to stand in agreement now, and I'm going to pray over you. Father, I thank you that the anointing breaks the yoke, breaks lies, breaks false words, breaks false religious concepts and precepts. Father, in Jesus' name, release your spirit of truth to break open the word tonight. I thank you, Father, that the word of God will bring life to every seed that has ever lain dormant in us. And Father, release new seed and Holy Spirit, open revelation. And I thank you, Father, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, resurrection life will be passed on to each and every single one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, in James chapter 5, it says, verse 14, it says, Is any one of you sick? Let him call upon the elders of the church to anoint them. And I'm going to just stop there because it's that word sick that I'm interested in because we're going to come back to it in our story just now. But that word sick is interesting. In the Greek, it's asthepio, asthepio. I don't know if any of you are in Greek, but it's called asthepio. And that word sick actually means to be feeble or weak. Physically, but also means to be weak in faith. So it means that you're not believing right about who you are in Christ, okay? So you've got a bit of an identity crisis in terms of who you are in Christ. And it says also that it's weak about your feelings and your convictions. Isn't that interesting? So what happens is that when you are weak in this context, it means that you can't have compassion on people. You lack compassion and understanding on people. And you know, that can make you sick. And it says, when you feel like that, anoint yourself or call on somebody to anoint yourself. What it does, it releases truth by the action of the Holy Spirit coming over you because the Holy Spirit will then put everything into perspective. So I hope you have given you a little bit of a tip. And if you don't have oil or olive oil, just do it anyway. So Holy Spirit, come and release truth because this sickness is not for real. It's because I'm feeling Weak. I'm not believing right of who I am in Christ Jesus. Now, Revelations chapter 19, this is where we're going to start tonight. And I've headed my teaching, get refilled. Get refilled. And getting refilled with the Holy Spirit is what God is calling us to today. And it is for you and I to have authority over death. Get refilled so that you've got authority over death. Now, this is not just death and being dead in the grave. I'm talking about death in your soul. Some of you know what I'm talking about when you just feel dead inside. How many of you felt like that before? You just feel dead. How many of you have felt just dead when you read the Bible, you fall asleep? And you pray, you fall asleep. You've lost that contact with God. How many of you are having intimacy with God right now? Real intimacy. I mean, talking like when he talks to you. How many of you are having that? You see, some of us are struggling. And you know what? God is wanting to reach you tonight because he wants to talk to you. And he's not wanting people like myself or Jan or Chantel, for that matter, to be speaking to you. We should only be confirming what God is already telling you. 
It's all about having relationship with God. So Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. What did it say? The wife has made herself ready. This means that it's up to you to decide whether you want to be ready or not. And you can't ask me to make you ready. You can't ask Jan to make you ready. You make yourself ready. How do you do that? By connecting to Holy Spirit. And so we're going to go now to our story tonight, which will be taken from John chapter 11. It's a story of Lazarus. And you know, this morning or this afternoon, God said to me that many of us need to come out of our tombs. Many of us have been in graves for too long. Many of us got stuck. How many of you know what it feels like to be stuck? And nothing seems to happen in your life. You're just stuck. huh? It's a terrible place to be. And what happens, you lose hope. And then you lose sight of what God really has intended for you. You feel like, well, has God forgotten me? And what happens? You get offended with God. And we know what happens with offense. The Holy Spirit stops talking to us. And so the enemy loves getting the bride of Christ offended. So let's start on that story in uh, John chapter 1, 11 verse 1. Now a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, even in that first verse, there is so much information. It sets the scene. So let's have a look. What does Lazarus mean? There was a man called Lazarus. You know that his name means God is my help. But his reality, when I looked up on the Strongs, what Lazarus actually means in terms of the man himself, it says he was a beggar without help. That's how he felt. He felt like a beggar without help. But God said to him, your name means God is my help. How many of you know the meaning of your name? I know the meaning of my name. But the enemy will always attack, attack you and make you feel the opposite of what your name really means. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because the enemy wants to sabotage your identity. Your name is your identity. And if Satan can sabotage your identity, he sabotages your destiny. Abraham to Abraham. God knew that Abraham was the name for Abraham. And you know what? Let me tell you a secret. Sarai only conceived when she acknowledged her name as Sarah. She only began to conceive when Abraham called her by the real name. You see, identity even in a marriage. Perhaps your wife, your husband, is not achieving what they are meant to do is because you're belittling them by their name. You're not seeing them in the potential God has for them. And so here we have Lazarus, his, the beggar without help. And it says that Lazarus is of Bethany. You know what the word Bethany means? House of affliction. So here we have this man who feels like a beggar. He's without help and he's living in a place of affliction. Sad story, by the way. And then it says, in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, it's interesting. Mary's name means bittersweet, bittersweet. And Martha means bitter. So he really was surrounded by not such a good environment, if you ask me. But it's kind of a place where we are, sometimes even as a bride of Christ. And it's interesting that this story is set just before the death of crucifixion of Jesus. And it's a picture of the bride of Christ before the rapture. 
because we are, we are always looking at the beginning, the middle, and the end. And what we see in the crucifixion period of Jesus is very much what it's going to look like at the rapture. And so when you look at the stories around the time of Jesus' crucifixion, you'll be able to see what kind of stuff is going to happen just before the rapture, which means that many will become offended like the Pharisees and Sadducees were. At Jesus, they twisted things around by the spirit of religion. They're going to tell you that things that are bad are actually okay. And in some of the things that you do good in church, like signs and wonders and miracles, they'll call heresy. Because that's what's going to happen in the last days. And unless we know the voice of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth, the chances are that the bride of Christ will go astray. And I know that here tonight, we are grooming sheep that will keep on the straight path. And I know that because God has called us together to keep us together, keep us together in the spirit of Jesus Christ. So it says, and it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. That word sick is the same sick word that I just told you about. So Lazarus was not physically sick as you and I would possibly think, you know, he was dying of cancer or something like that. It's interesting though that in Jesus' parable, remember about Lazarus and the rich man, that parable, it referred to that Lazarus as a leper. And it's, I'm just interested that Jesus should use Lazarus's name as a parable story. Like there's a na- man by the name of Lazarus who happens to be a leper. But you know what leprosy is in the New Covenant? How many of you know what leprosy does to you? You lose your feelings. When you are a leper, you lose feelings. You can touch hot things and it doesn't harm you because you can't feel it. I mean, it harms you, but you can't feel it. Well, spiritual leprosy in the New Covenant is not being able to feel the presence of God. So if you're suffering from spiritual leprosy, it means you can't hear the voice of God. And I'm wondering if that's where Lazarus was. Just asking, because this is the scene that we've got right now. He's doubting if anyone like Jesus is going to help him right now, and Jesus wasn't coming, and Jesus wasn't coming, and Jesus wasn't coming. How many of you feel like that? When you pray, and you pray, and nothing's happening. And this is where Lazarus was at that time. And so let's continue. And it says, Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death. Isn't this interesting? But for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That word death is also very interesting. In the Greek, it's a word called thanatos. And it means not not intended to bring separation from the life of God. So that death was not intended to bring a separation from the life of God. So Jesus was saying to him, you know, when you feel sick, when you feel physically um, like you don't have faith because you're feeling hopeless and you're feeling like Jesus is gone, it's not meant to kill you. It's meant to turn things around for you. Because the other meaning to this word, it says, but it is for experiencing A dying to self. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus was saying, this death is not meant to kill you, but it's meant for you to die to self. Wow. Hey, isn't that amazing? And that's the difficult part, is to die to self. You know, to die to self when you know that you have every reason to blame somebody for what they've done. When you've got every reason to blame why your financial situation isn't working the way it is. Perhaps you're blaming your mom and dad for the things that are going on 
in your life as a young person. Maybe you've got things going on there. Maybe things aren't working out because you've got limitations that your teacher has given you, your parents given you. And so it's causing you to feel sick inside and you're almost losing your life. The death that's happening is in your soul. It's a death that happens within your identity. You start losing who you are. You see, and this is where Lazarus was. It's called deferred hope, you know, or hope deferred. But now let's go back to verse 7 again, and it says, Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you there, and you're going there again. So they're going, Lord, why are you going back to a place that is so offended with you? Why are you going back there? And Jesus said something interesting. Jesus said, Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But verse 10, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now in those days, light was with oil lamps. Do you remember that? It wasn't a light like this. So when Jesus talks about light, in order for a light to work, you need oil. So in order for light, it means the spirit has to be there. Am I making sense here? So he's saying that if you're walking in the day when there's light, you've got the spirit. And you will not stumble. Isn't that amazing? Even though you come into a place of offense, you will not stumble if you've got the Holy Spirit to release truth to you. But if you go at night when there's no Holy Spirit, you will stumble. And you see, this is what's happening with the bride right now, is that we are being challenged whether we've got the Spirit or not. The Bible says that that there's no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. So when you walk in a place of knowing who you are in Christ, you always walk in the day. You're always going to walk in the day. You're going to be able to see what's going on. And you're going to be able to see where the devil's putting roadblocks. Because you're going to be wise. And you're going to be able to see ahead. And God says, this is what I want my bride to be like. I want you to walk in the day. I want you to be free. I want you to be able to have wisdom. So that you don't fall into this pattern of being sick. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. You know that word stumbles is exactly the word that is, um, let me write, I don't know where I wrote it down. But it actually is exactly the word to be not offended. It actually says in the strong, stumble is the word for um, to take offense. So isn't that amazing? But if one walks In the night he stumbles. Verse 11, these things he said, that after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I'll go that I may wake him up. Now, how many of you remember what happened just before Jesus was crucified? And he told the disciples to pray because something huge was going to happen to him. You know, the body of Christ is being called to pray now and to be alert, to hear what the Spirit is saying. And what happened to the disciples, they fell asleep. And, and this is what happened here as well. Jesus was saying, but Lazarus is just sleeping. You see, when you feel feeble and weak and you lose faith, you feel sleepy. You know, you just, how many of you have lost your destiny sometimes or purpose? You've gone through a trauma and all you want to do is call up in bed and sleep. That's what the enemy loves getting you stuck in. He loves getting you stuck into looking at yourself and self-pity, and you just want to sleep. You know, that word sorrow 
um, that, oh, I'll go back there just now. So let's just take a look at that word sleeps. In verse Luke twenty two forty five, go with me there. Luke twenty two forty five. We pick up on that word sleep. Twenty two forty five. Here's the same word sleep. Jesus picks it up in the prayer in the garden. It says, "When he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples, and he found them sleeping." What does it say there? Sleeping from what? Sorrow, can you see? So sleeping in the spirit, sleeping spiritually, when you are finding that you can't have intimacy with God and you're really struggling with your quiet time, you're struggling with direction, it's because there's some sorrow in your life. There's some regret. There's something that you're feeling like you have an, a, an unfulfilled expectation. There's something that you're concerned about and saying, God, but you haven't come through for me here. And that's just an offense. And the enemy makes you tired so that you spend less time with the Lord. He makes you tired so that you lose hope. And the story continues. But I want to pick up where we go to where Lazarus is um, at the tomb now. Let me just go to that part there. I know, that, um, verse 24, let's say, and I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is uh, Martha and Mary talking to Jesus. And drop down now um, to verse 31. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out and followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Can you see where the sorrow came in? If only, Lord, if only you had done this, if only my boss had done this, if only my wife would do this. Sorrow creeps in when we are disappointed with the Lord. Therefore, when Jesus was weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Isn't that interesting? Jesus groaned. That word groaning is very interesting for me. It means that he expresses a disappointment in them. Why do you think Jesus expressed a disappointment in Mary and Martha? Why do you think he was disappointed? Because for three years, they walked with him, with the disciples. They saw miracles, and yet they did not believe. Some of us have been Christians for so long, yet we really struggle to believe that Jesus loves us and that he'll take us through things. And when we hit a trial, we lose hope so quickly. But I'm telling you tonight that when you have the Holy Spirit ministering to you continually, you will find hope sooner and faster. And I'm encouraging you to develop relationship with the Holy Spirit. How many of you have told the Holy Spirit, I love you, Holy Spirit. I love you close, Holy Spirit. Come close to me, Holy Spirit. How many of you just got a relationship with Jesus and God? Hmm? You see, the church has forgotten about Holy Spirit. And it says in Joel that in the last day, there'll be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, I'm just encouraging you again that God is calling us to a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then it says that Jesus groaned because he was so upset. Verse 38 says, then Jesus again groaning in himself. Twice it says that he groaned. Isn't it sad? And it says Jesus wept. He did not weep out of sorrow. He wept out of frustration. And you know, Jesus loves us so much 
that I know that he's just going over and over like a stuck record to you. I'm faithful. I'm with you. The promises I made for you in your life are sure and secure. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, in 1 John, chapter 4, turn with me there if you may, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Take note, it says, and we have known and believed. It's easy to know that God loves us, but how many of you believe it? How many of you believe it? You know, you know your wife loves you or your husband loves you, but do you believe it? You know, you say to your wife, or your wife says to you as a husband, Donnie, you've got to tell me that you love me. Please tell me that you love me. I mean, the bride's always saying that. Please tell me that you love me. But Jesus is saying, believe that I love you. And you know, it's crucial that you know that you are loved. Let me explain. It's crucial that you know that you are loved. Not that you love Jesus, but that you know he loves you. Because it says in Revelations chapter 3, to the faithful church, it says, and to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the church who knew they were loved. It's the only church that never got a reprimand. Do you know that? The church of Philadelphia knew that they were loved. It says, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. You know what? If you know you are loved, doors will be opened that no man can open. If you know you are loved, doors will be closed that no man can close. You'll have success after success, spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally. And let me say one other thing. This is a breakthrough message for me when God revealed this to me. If you know you are loved, you will be spared the hour of trial. Wow. Look where I get that from. Verse 10. It says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial. To the church who knew they were loved. You know, the breakthrough came for me when I realized that God showed me to the portion of Scripture where they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, a picture of the last days, as I just explained. So this is the scene now. You have the disciples as us, the bride, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the last hours of this earth, all right? And you have this fear that's going on because your faith is being challenged. Jesus was going to be crucified. They were being challenged. Their faith was being challenged. They were sorrowful because their dreams were shattered. You can imagine. Their dreams were shattered. And Jesus went to pray, and they're confused. They don't know what's happening because he's supposed to be king, and now he's being crucified. But then there was disciple John who knew he was loved. Five times in the book of John, whom he wrote himself, by the way, and he said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He calls himself that. Isn't that amazing? You know, it's like me saying, hi, Chantal, I'm Naomi, the disciple whom Jesus loves. But that's wonderful. You see, he knew who he was. But then Peter had no idea who he was. I mean, Peter had a huge identity crisis. He was saying, oh, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. I'll jump out of the boat. He was always trying to prove himself. Peter was like me sometimes, you know, always trying to do 
things so that God will love me more. How many of us know that? I mean, we fall into that trap all the time. And so we have these two wonderful characters, Peter and John in the garden, just about the time where Jesus was going to be crucified. You have one disciple who knows he's loved. He's clothed in a garment of love, okay? In the garment of salvation, the garment of righteousness, the garment of knowing who I am in Christ. And then you have one who's not too sure about the situation. And the Bible says that as they went to take Jesus, Peter and John followed. The other disciples followed far behind and must probably left. But Peter and John followed. But now what happened? They go into the place where Jesus is going to be trialed. And John passes undetected right through, passes the hour of trial. John passes the hour of trial because the enemy can't find those who know they are loved. The enemy cannot find those who know they are loved. But Peter stood at the door of should I, shouldn't I? Am I loved? Am I not? What do I do here? He was indecisive. And what happened? The girl asks him, are you one of his followers? And you know what? Fear took over Peter. When you don't know you are loved, fear will come your way. Wow. God is calling us to a place of knowing our identity in Christ Jesus. Praise Jesus. There's a scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. The Holy Spirit gives you strength, and He gives you courage, and He tells you all things. It says, verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from Him will abide with you forever, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He will tell you what to say, when to say, when not to say. He loves you. He's on your side. Chapter 3, verse 7 says, little children, let no one deceive you. Listen to me. Let no one deceive you. He will, he, listen to this, he who practices righteousness is righteous. He says, let no one deceive you. How? Because if you practice righteousness, you will be righteous. I want you to promise me today that every day in the mirror this week, you're going to say, I am wonderfully, fearfully made. I am loved, and I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Can you see how important it is just to look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself who Jesus made you to be? And this will give you the victory. Hallelujah, Jesus. We love you. I want to conclude by sharing with you about the two. You know, the tomb in the original Greek actually has an interesting meaning. You know, there's a man in Mark chapter 5, we talk about who lived in the tombs, the demoniac man. He lived in the tombs. That word tombs is continually raised in that passage of Scripture, I think, at least five times. He dwelt in the tombs. He lived in the tombs. But the word tomb in the Scriptures means to have idols or monuments in your soul. Isn't that interesting? When you have idols that are higher and bigger than your revelation of who God is, you will hide behind them and they'll become a tomb to you. They'll become too big for you so that you can't see the presence of God coming for your rescue. I don't know what your idol is. I don't know what your big 
thing is in your life that's always obstructing you from being able to see the goodness of God. Perhaps it's fear. Perhaps it's anxiety. Perhaps it's not having enough. Perhaps it's rejection. Just a continual cycle of rejection that you're just too scared to move out of your resurrection power, out of your tomb, because in case it might not work, in case I fail, I'm too scared, I'm too afraid. Perhaps what people might say to me, but this is your tomb, and Jesus is saying, tonight I need you to come out of this place because it no longer can be your dwelling place. It no longer has the power to hold you. And let me share something so interesting with you. Remember, Lazarus was wrapped in cloth. And he was in the grave. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out, but he comes out bound. And Jesus says to the people, you unravel him. He didn't, Jesus did not unravel him. Jesus could have easily got him to come out without that cloth. But it's interesting for me that he came out still bound. Many of us are living the Christian walk. We have been resurrected from the dead. We've been saved. Our soul has been set free, but we're still living as though we are bound. And you're walking around like this because you can't do anything. Because the Holy Spirit is not able to unlock because you're not hearing, because you're so offended. You're so upset with people. And people have wrapped this thing around because Jesus said the people must unravel him. So my question to you tonight, is somebody keeping you wrapped in these clothes that you can't do anything? Your hands are strapped. Are you angry with somebody? Is something holding you back so that you can't get your hands out or your feet moving? Or perhaps, are you needing to unravel some cloth from somebody else? Are you keeping somebody else bound? Ask God those questions. Lord, is there anyone to whom I owe an apology? Can I go to someone and say, please forgive me? Can I unravel their clothes for them? And how many of you are standing like this and asking God, please, I need to be unraveled? And you're waiting, like the man on the pool of Bethesda, waiting for somebody to put you in the pool, when in fact, Jesus is saying, I am ready to take you and put you in the pool. And Jesus said to that man, do you want to be made well? You know what that man said? They are not taking me into the pool. Are you sitting and still blaming people for you being stuck? For 38 years. And you know, 38 years is an interesting number. It means the date or the years the children of Israel were in bondage and they crossed over on the 38th year. It's a transition from flesh into spirit. And God is calling us to live spirit and not flesh. If you are living bound like this, you're so worried about the flesh, you're consumed with your worries and your concerns, you're allowing the enemy to pull you down into a place of sorrow, and you're keeping you in a tomb stuck. How many of you want to be free tonight? Amen. I think all of us want to be free tonight. And so God is wanting us to all embrace the power of the Holy Spirit and get out into our resurrection, dominus power, because it's time for the church to be supernatural. It's time for the church to come and live in the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and leave the flesh behind, leave the nonsense behind. Who cares what people think anyway and what they did and what they didn't do? It's no, it's actually a waste of time. It's absolutely a waste of time. It's a waste of your energy, and it's not going to get you anywhere. You know, it's always nice when we talk in a place like this, and everything suddenly just makes sense, but when you go home, (laughs) 
But I just pray in the name of Jesus. So whatever gets done here will be sealed and you will not go back to your old patterns. That all of you come out of your tombs tonight and that you come out of your hopelessness and your graves and that Jesus sets you free tonight. Amen. 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 Yes. see there just is that tombs, which the, that Greek word means, you know, it's monument. Mm. So sometimes the memories of failure yes. is the monuments we hold on to. Wow, that's amazing. Memories of failure are the monuments we hold on to. Memories. Memories of rejection. Memories of failures. Memories that entice fear. So these are the big memories. And it's all in the mind. And you know, the Bible says in John chapter 4, it says, my true worshipers in the last day will worship me in spirit and in truth. God wants to unlock the truth to you today so that you don't live in the lie anymore. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like I need to end here because I feel like we need time just for ministry and allow the Holy Spirit to unlock the tombs of your heart for you tonight.